Before we kick this show off, let's hear a word from our sponsors. So it's been a full season for the Under Pressure Outdoors crew in the Hasmore Outdoor Products Silent Seat. And let me tell you, they're worth every penny. And here are some reasons why. Number one, you can't beat the comfort level. Number two, they don't hold in moisture like rain or sweat. Number three, they completely fold out of the way when you stand up, giving you a full range of motion in your climber. And number four, they cut down on your setup and breakdown times dramatically. Don't just take our word for it. Use offer code UPO15 and get 15% off your silent seat and many other U.S.-made accessories for your climber today. You can find Hasmore Outdoor Products on Facebook and hasmore.net. That's H-A-Z-M-O-R-E dot net. And in the link in this podcast description. I'm your host, Will Krebs, and this is the Under Pressure Outdoors Podcast. Well, we got some stuff to talk about. What are we talking about? shooting my first book yeah before we get into that though we got we got some small game hunts coming up you ready yes you know where we're going no so december 2nd we are going to be going to seminole ranch wildlife management area you remember that last year it's where we hunted the doves and the snipe Walking in the cow pasture. Think way back. I remember two, but I don't know which is which. It was the first one. Let's see. The one that Logan didn't go to last year. It was just me and you and your Uncle Jordan and Briar and Jim. Grandpa was there, I think. Maybe. Maybe Grandpa wasn't there. No, Grandpa went to Charles Bronson last year. You were you were there. I don't remember any of them. Yeah, you were there. But that one's coming up on December 2nd. And we're going back out there to chase some more snipes. Yeah. And stuff like that. Squirrels, if you can find some. Are you excited to go? Is it... Is it the one that... Um, we found the giant tree branch that you can sit on. The giant tree branch? Is it that one? Maybe, yeah. I don't think Logan was there. He wasn't there. No. That might have been the one you're thinking of. And then after that, um, we've got one in... Ludowice, Georgia, over New Year's uh, Day weekend at Townsend Wildlife Management Area. Uh, that's going to be a small game hunt camp, uh, the three-day event. It's going to be a lot of fun. And then we go to one of your favorite places, Seminole Forest, at the end of January. You know where that is, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, you like to fish in there, and that's where you killed your first two squirrels. With Grandpa, yeah. With Grandpa, yeah. Last year? My 410 from last Christmas. Yeah, you ready to get that 410 out and put it to work chasing some squirrels this year? Yes. Very good. So that second one, I do believe, is going to be January, late January in Seminole Force, 20th or 27th. I have to double check on the event page but I don't think you ever told the story about you killing your first two squirrels do you remember it no not really no I remember it and I don't remember some of it some of it you do remember some what do you do what do you remember that at first I couldn't even see the squirrel the first one we looked we were trying lean up to the microphone a little better um at the first one I could barely see it yeah um I at first Grandpa saw it and I didn't see it, and he had to, and he had to show me. At least ten times, and I saw a lump in the tree. I'm like, is that it? Yeah, and then you shot it with your four ten. Yes. Very good. Very good. You excited to get that break the four ten back out? Yes. Get to work with that. Yeah. Yeah. You excited to uh, go back up to Alabama this weekend? What are we hunting when we get to Alabama this weekend? Buck. Buck? Try to get you a wall hanger? Yes. Yeah. Well, let me introduce everybody we've got here this evening. I'm your host, Will Krebs, and I've got Rylan, my son, in here with me to kick this podcast off. It's going to have a little bit of a different uh, style because... um, I'm going to have Rylan tell his story, and then uh, he's going to head on inside to go to bed, and I'm going to be joined by Tyke. And uh, we're going to talk about some different calibers for youth hunting um, and give some ins and outs on recoil and opinions and facts. And It's, it, it's going to be a pretty good show. It is a pretty good show. So, Rylan, tell us, tell us your story. How did, how did it all start? Lean in a little closer than that. When did you? What did you think of that rifle when you first shot it? Nothing kicked. No, I'm talking about before you went deer hunting with it. We never shot it before we went deer hunting. With yeah, it. you did. You shot it at Grandpa's house. Oh. Does it kick worse than your 410? No. No. At Grandpa's house, my at Grandpa's house, it kicked, but when I was shooting at deer, it did it. Yeah. So you shot it at Grandpa's house, and then we came back here, had it at the house. What did we do with it here? We cocked it without anything in it, and we were aiming and making sure what fits out of wiffle ball. That's right. Practicing your sight picture and your trigger squeeze? Yes. You think that helped you? Yes. So tell me, we got up there, let's see, Saturday morning. Remember Saturday morning? Yeah. We had to get the ground blind. Yeah. Because it was raining. We see any deer Saturday morning? Yes, but they were off into the bushes and we couldn't shoot out of the ground blind over there. I didn't see it. My uncle and my dad saw it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, who? So we sat there all morning in that ground blind in the rain, 
and we watched deer kind of move around in this thick stuff to our left a little bit, but nothing came out in the food plot. And then the rain quit, so we packed up the ground blind. Then what did we do? We went to camp, and we um, hung out for a little bit. And then we we went and ate, and then we came back that um, that afternoon. That afternoon, and we. We were waiting for a while. I start. I started to eat a granola bar, and then my dad um, um, started tapping me a bunch. And I looked over to the food plot, and there was a buck walking out onto the food plot from over of in the corner of the food plot, and I. Do you know it was a buck I, before you shot it? No. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> you just saw a deer. Yeah. And when it came around the corner, we got the gun ready. And I was shaking really, really, really hard. And it took a while for me to um, try to shoot at it. And then I shot at it. And I dropped it in tracks. Very good. What were we waiting on? Why do we have to wait so long? Because the deer want to come out. He wasn't facing right away. He was, he was facing right towards us. He'd wait for him to turn broadside a little bit. We had, yeah. 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 And you're right. You did. You squeezed the trigger and dropped him right where he stood. And the next morning I shot a doe. Oh, he's going to get to that in a minute. Can't just throw the spo- spoiler alert. Oh. And then we took it to the processor. Yes. And you got some hamburger meat and some cube steaks made out of that one. Yeah. And uh, Rylan told the lady, he said, when, when you told her, when you said, well, see you tomorrow, what did you think you were coming back for the next day? Do you think you were going to pick something up? Mm-hmm. Like your meat or your horns? No. No, you just thought you'd say see you tomorrow? Yes. Were you that confident you were going to go out and kill another deer the next morning? Yes. <laughs> okay. All right, confident, yeah. Okay. He gets it honest. Uh, so, tell me about Sunday morning. We we woke up. It was a little cooler, which yes. was nice. Yes. Because rain quit, kind of pushed some cool weather in. Yes. So, it was about 57 degrees, if I remember correctly, which is going to be colder this weekend when we get up there. Be down in the 40s. We got to bring our good thick clothes for you. Yeah. And then we got climbed up in the tree stand. And I had to adjust the gun rest on the buddy stand with zip ties because it got broken by accident. The little adjustment knobs did. Yeah. But Grandpa fixed them. And when I when it what when it did break, um, when we're over there just setting like getting ready to come next. Oh, I forgot you were with me when I broke it by accident. Yeah. Yeah, because you were up there it helping us. scared me so bad. I thought the tree stem broke. Yeah, you, you were up there. I forgot. You were up there helping us fill the feeders and put I the was, feeders out and put some yeah, blind material up. I was about to get down. Why? I heard, I like I was on the first step getting down, and I heard a bang, and that whole thing like almost fell on my head. Well, good thing it didn't. But, so, we, we got the gun rest situated. Yes. And then... 
this was man that central time zone gets it kind of crazy so first shooting light was it like 5 35 in the morning so it was early it was before right or just after five o'clock and um a little bit in a, in a little bit we saw a doe's tail stick out of the woods that's right we were in the stand about 20 minutes and i saw a yeah. deer walking away from us and then um and then the yearling came out um to the food plot to eat, get corn so we knew the doe was coming to protect the yearling and then when the doe came out we um at least for 10 minutes we waited for it to turn broadside <coughs> and then um i was shaking really bad at the same time i shot the buck and when i shot it it also dropped in the tracks yeah you did very good job and we got her loaded up and took her back to the processor. And we got some breakfast sausage made out of her. Yeah. Yeah. <coughs> so what, you, what What meal are you most excited to eat out of your deer meat when we get it? We're going to pick it up this weekend. Biscuits and gravy. Biscuits and gravy. What else do you think you want to make with it? Sausage. Sausage? Mm-hmm. We'll have to get some more sausage? Yeah. So what do you think if maybe we kill a pig and we take it's it in there? Pork. We get some bratwurst made pork. and some hot dogs. Pork. Oh yeah, pork chops. What do you think? Yeah. Get some more breakfast sausage made out of that. Yeah. Sound good. Yeah. Yeah, I think it sounds good to me too. I think that's what we'll do. So, you excited to go back up to Alabama? Yes. Yeah. Where Where do you want to hunt uh, Friday afternoon? Think long and hard about it. Are you going to bring your saddle? I can. I think the first thing we should go by camp again. Well, yeah. And then maybe that afternoon we go where I kill my buck. Talk to the microphone. And then after we go to... The one near camp, we can go to the one where I killed my buck. And then the other days, I don't really know yet. You want to hunt near camp first? Yes. Yeah, and then go where your buck is, where you killed your buck. And we can go hunt that single ladder, too, and I can sit behind you in a lock on her in my saddle. Which single ladder? The big, tall one with that's, all the pigs. That's next to the one with all the pigs that's... That we poured the whole corn back by the tree, and they all, and the next day we came back, it's all gone. Well, there was, there's that one, which that one's near camp. Yeah. But then there's another one over off of the, the big agriculture field. There's all, you know what I'm talking about? I also want to um, try the one next to the one near camp that's around the side. Yeah. I also want to try that one. Okay. We can do that. Okay. We can do that. There's a bunch of watermelon pigs. Yeah. Like, there's a bunch of them that look like watermelons. There's yeah, yeah, there is. So there we actually have big, full-grown hogs. I bet that's. I'm not sure if it's a boar or a sow, but it's it's probably 150 pounds, and it's still got that water the watermelon straps on it like it's a piglet. Yeah. Yeah, that's a watermelon pig. But that one, there's one fat enough. Grandpa showed me on camera today. Looks like it's fat enough to cut bacon off of. 
Can you show me that? I should pocket. I'll show it to you right now. Look here. Stay right there. I'll hand it to your phone. Let's see here. Stay right there. Stay right there. I'll hand you the phone. Look at that big old fat pig on the bottom right there. Yeah, talking to the microphone. That's a big old fat one, isn't it? Yes, it's very big. There's about 16 pigs in that picture. Wait, can I see it again? Yeah. It's a watermelon looking pig. Here, take the phone. Tell me what you see. Talking to the microphone. To me, it doesn't look like a watermelon pig. No. No. Looks like a pig you can make bacon out of, though, doesn't it? Yes. <laughs> is this one? This yeah, that one? big one right there. It's got a stripe on it. I can't see the stripe. It's kind of hard to tell in that picture, but it's there. This one right here is pretty big. Yes, sir. These two look big, too. All right. So we're up. <laughs> we're going up this weekend. It's General Gun here. Oh, that's by the one I was talking about where we filled the whole bag. Yeah. So we're going back up this weekend. It's General Gun, <coughs> and uh, <coughs> youth season's over, but we're still just going to take Rylan's gun, and we're going to hope for the best. Yep. Shoot a wall hanger, maybe shoot a couple pigs. We'll see. Yeah. We got. We'll we'll take the ground blind. Might set up set it up somewhere and give it a shot. Who knows? What do you think? I don't really like the ground blind. What? Why not? You can't shoot out of it that well. Yeah, you can. You shoot out of it just fine. Not as well as the tree stand. But, well, we'll see. All right, man. Well, thank you. You're welcome. Anything else you want to tell them? No. No? Got your lucky hat on? Your lucky under pressure outdoors hat? Yeah. Tell them they can buy a lucky hat just like yours? At under pressure outdoor, uponation.co. All right. Well, Rylan, we'll catch you later, and uh, let's go ahead and roll this on into me and Tyke talking about some uh, some different calibers to hunt for youth with. Rylan, you're about oh four foot, four and a half feet tall, maybe maybe fifty five pounds, shooting a six point eight SPC AR fifteen and dropping deer in their tracks. Seven years old. And my dad made the gun. Yeah, Buck's laying machine. All right. Sit tight. We'll be right back with a word from our sponsors. As we move through life, it's inevitable that we're going to find ourselves needing trusted advice from legal counsel. From business transactions to real estate, lawsuits to contract matters, we all need advice and assistance from time to time. Attorney Roman Hammis' multi-state law practice focuses on litigation, business law, and real estate. Roman helps individuals and business owners find solutions to their legal problems. If push comes to shove, Roman is an experienced litigator with extensive trial experience and the ability to take it all the way. He's been named Super Lawyer every year from 2016 to present, a distinction given to only 5% of practicing lawyers. Most importantly, Roman is an avid hunter, angler, conservationist, and proud supporter of the UPO Nation. When you need dependable legal counsel, 
call Roman, 407-680-6050 or 843-324-1727 or email roman at romanvhamas.com. That's R-O-M-A-N at R-O-M-A-N-V-H-A-M-M-E-S dot com. Offices Florida and South Carolina. The Under Pressure Outdoors podcast is brought to you in part by Hang Free. With a mission to provide top quality products for the best possible price, Hang Free believes that the saddle hunting experience is worth more than money. They create both tried and true products as well as debut new items to the saddle hunting community, creating a community of saddle hunters that don't have to break the bank to participate in the hobby that they love. Do yourself a favor and join the Hang Free family this hunting season. They truly have everything you need. Don't forget to use offer code UPO10 at checkout for 10% off your order at hangfree.co. I guess this one's going to run a little different than normal because you're going to kind of get two intros into this because I will have gone back at, after we're done recording this and I'll get Ryan to sit down with me and tell the story of his first two deer uh, that he killed with the AR. And then we'll kind of re-intro everything because I'm not going to give a whole intro with him in here. He'll want to talk the entire time. So I'm just going to get right to letting him tell his story. But uh, he's... Uh, that was pretty exciting. I, I mean, I that was easily to date the most exciting hunt I've had so far. Yeah, it's got to be. Watching him be able to kill a deer like that. And I know he's just chomping at the bit to get back up there again after Thanksgiving. I told him, I said, he's got to lay off the does for a little bit. Try and hunt us a, hunt us a wall hanger buck. Yeah. yeah that's that's got to be exciting. I always like taking other people out. It's part of, you know, I think that's more fun for me now than actually hunting myself. Oh, I definitely enjoy take, taking other people, especially new people to the sport, taking them out and getting them involved yeah. uh, in hunting. But it's a whole nother dang ball game when you're talking about taking your kids out. Which, I mean, I've been taking Ryland with me for some time uh, since he was about three, I guess is when he really started going with me at least three or four times and sitting in the stand for a while, four years old, he started going a lot more and sitting longer, so on and so forth. Every year got a little further down the road Then last year. He was in it for, you know, an entire four hours in the morning in the same in the afternoon. And then this year he was ready to, after shooting some squirrels with his 410, you know, he first thing he says, he says, Dad, can I kill deer with this? I'm like, well, I mean, you can. Uh, we didn't try to shoot slugs out of it, because I know that probably would have hurt quite a bit more than the 6.8 rifle that he did shoot. Because it's got some... The 410 slug, man, they got a decent amount of recoil to them. Yeah, well, slugs... I think slugs in general, just... You better be ready for that. And I don't know if giving it to a kid is... Is the best way to do that because they probably wouldn't want to shoot ever again. 
Well, I mean, I know some, you know, when I was younger, I knew kids that were my age. Of course, I was 11 when I killed my first deer. But I knew kids that were shooting, killed deer with 410 slugs. But it, back then as well, that was a single shot 410, but it was a full size 410. It wasn't near what the 410 he has, that tiny little, I mean, in all reality, it's a great, it'd be a great little backpack gun because it folds down. And it already has a small profile. Yeah. But that gun don't weigh nothing. It's like a snake charmer with a longer stock on it. <laughs> <laughs> but. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say this. Uh, well, my brothers had a snake charmer. Uh, those things were garbage, but it was fun. That was, I don't know what they were really intended to do, but they were fun little just break action <laughs> shotgun pistol yeah, firearm. I, I had a lot of fun with that thing, trying to one hand and shoot clays and stuff with it. It was just had a lot of fun with it. But yeah, I don't know what, what the point of them was. But yeah, yeah I remember uh, had a buddy had one. It would hold three or four shells in the buttstock. Like you could mm-hmm. twist the butt pad open and put two shells above it and two shells below where it twisted. I don't know. So, I'm not sure what the purpose of that was either. Yeah, I don't know. Like I said, I just when you said that mentioned snake charm. I would have heard that in a long time, and it just made me laugh because I had a lot of fun with it. But that thing was just ridiculous. So for those that don't know, the snake charmer was uh, imagine a. I guess it would technically be considered a firearm. It's not a shotgun because it definitely didn't have an 18 inch barrel. <laughs> But it also probably fit under the 26-inch or right at the 26-inch rule to make it considered a firearm because it doesn't have a rifled barrel, therefore it's not a pistol. The ATF has some really funny rules when it comes to stuff like that. And it, it basically fit a loophole, uh, a lot similarly to um, like the Remington Tac 14 or the Mossberg Shockwave, where they have a barrel that is shorter than 18 inches for a shotgun, but the gun itself overall length I believe it's about 26 inches which allows it to classify as a firearm not a shotgun or a pistol and that little 410 is just a break action 410 I don't even know if they came in any other gauge besides 410 no they didn't and that, that's all she wrote man you held it like a pistol with a terrible grip and just let her eat yeah it's like almost uh, almost like an arm brace kind of a uh, butt butt stock on it or something. Yeah, it was like this little extension thing. Just weird. It was just a weird thing that you know came into my life for uh, a fleeting moment. <laughs> yeah, and I just and I I just remember having a having a blast with it while I was here. I, like I said, I don't really know of any practical purpose for it other than uh, just for fun. But it was a lot of fun. I guess if you had like one of the one of the an older truck with the longer doors, you probably could have fit it in the door pocket of a pickup truck. Yeah, but not anymore. There's too many gadgets and doodads in the door. I mean, the dang driver's door. My pickup truck has two separate door pockets. Can't fit nothing in either one of them. <laughs> they should have just left it. <laughs> one big door pocket at the bottom. Yeah, I don't. You need that many bottles of water out there. Is just as important. Oh man, you ain't kidding, dude. My my pickup truck has let's see, two, four, nine cup holders in or no, two seven cup holders in the front, 
and four in the back. So you could fit a whole 12 pack as long as you stuck one between your legs. <laughs> yeah, we, most of those are just for water bottles and the door pockets and stuff. I don't know. My wife's car, you can fit like eight, eight bottles of water in the door pockets, but you can't put anything hot or open in there. And so you can carry around a lot of damn bottled water. <laughs> oh, but we, uh, We've gathered here this evening to, because after Ryland shot that deer, um, I started getting questions from friends with kids about his age of uh, what, you know, what did Ryland shoot the deer with? What caliber was he using? Because Ryland, my son, seven years old, he might be, he's lucky if he's 55 pounds. He's a little beanpole, um, but he has no problem shooting that rifle. Uh, and I think, man, it's, everybody wants to know what they're shooting with. And I know back when I was a kid and when I started being able to carry a rifle that most would say is capable of killing deer to the woods, uh, the first thing I got handed was a lever action thirty thirty. And I think a lot of kids, at least from generations past that's what we started on that and i know the 3030 has killed a lot of deer and it still yeah. will but there are better cartridges out there than the 3030 for using for kids and that 3030 packs a wallop at least it seemed like it did when i was a kid i haven't shot one in a long time well those are full wood stock lever guns yeah true they they had a little bit of weight to them and you know, you could kind of, uh, I guess, get away with it. But uh, I, there's so many better options out there. I don't see the point. Unless, unless it's a nostalgic thing. You know, if you've got the same rifle you shot one with and you want your kid to shoot one. I don't think a thirty thirty is a bad place to start by any means. But uh, I don't know if it's the first thing I'd run down to buy right now if I, if I didn't already have one. You know, my dad, I, I was talking to him about that, and, and uh, he was like, well, I still got that thirty thirty. You can just let him shoot that. I said, yeah, I bet it's about as sighted in as it was when you let me and uh, Jordan try to shoot one with it. He's like, that gun sighted in. I said, that gun was never sighted in. <laughs> the first deer I ever shot at with it was about 40 yards, and I missed low. And I cannot blame the gun on that, but I will say that gun was shooting like, a foot and a half to the right when my dad uh tried decided or tried went to check to see if it was still on all right so every 3030 is sighted in according to somebody and no 3030 is sighted in according to everybody else that you ask about it so i've never heard a 3030 story about there wasn't an argument about whether that gun was sighted in or not so that's a funny, funny uh, thing about that caliber, I guess. I don't know. It's, I think every time I've heard a thirty thirty story, it's like, oh, that thing don't shoot. My dad said, oh, hell yeah, it does. Like, <laughs> exactly. I'll put it on paper, and it's 30 inches low. And it's like, that thing don't shoot. It's like, yeah, I don't. It's uh, Maybe it's a first gun. It's a first gun issue, maybe, or something, not a. 30-30 issue. It's just a funny thing, though. It seems common. It could be. Yeah, I mean, who knows? But it also had the uh, the classic, 
you know, in 1990s era, I've got iron sights and a scope, so I need these scope rings that are four inches high so I can see beneath them to still see my iron sights. Uh, the old shoot through. The old shoot through rings, baby. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I, I saw <laughs> my uh, I had a six five by fifty five Swedish uh, military rifle that we put rings on, and I had those shoot throughs on it, and yeah, those were pretty cool. Yeah, I didn't. I never. I never used them, so I don't know. Those things just went away, but nobody ever really talked about them. You know, they didn't get a funeral. Uh, I guess it was just a blip on the map. This doesn't make sense having that much sight over bore. Well, I think at but some it, point they went, you know, if for some reason something happens to this scope, they could just take it off and use the iron sights. They don't have to be able to shoot underneath the scope. <laughs> yeah, what, we put thumb screws on it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, man. But... yeah. Get a good chin weld going on on that whatever rifle you had that thing mounted to, so you could see through the scope. <laughs> yeah, that was <laughs> look over, look over across the top of the butt stock and use your left eye. That would that'd work out well. So yeah, before before we dive too far in, into talking different calibers and recoil and uh, I guess felt recoil. I want to cover some things that I did with Ryland before we uh, we actually went to the woods to kill a deer. For starters, I took him out and I let him shoot the rifle at a target at about 50 yards. And he shot the rifle five times. And we got, you know, just the basic idea of, hey, this gun has recoil. This is what it's going to feel like. Um, we practiced as much accuracy as you can. Cause once a kid, you know, a little kid like that takes some recoil, it's going to be harder to get them to want to focus on staying on target. Um, and then we, we shelved it. I'm not going to push into some hard accuracy stuff with a little kid, uh, not with live rounds. Instead we did that and then took the gun home. We sat in the backyard and used, a small like golf ball size wiffle ball at about 20 yards, 20 to 30 yards and let him practice sight picture, keeping the crosshairs on the wiffle ball as he's squeezing the trigger and just do that over and over and over and over again. Um, and then move the wiffle ball, hand in the gun, zoom the scope in and say, okay, find the wiffle ball, put it in the crosshairs, squeeze the trigger. That way we're working on target acquisition. Because that is a big thing that most people don't think about when it comes to kids and shooting a rifle is that I think we take for granted as an experienced hunter how much we've learned in, in target acquisition. Being able to look at a target, go, it's there, pull the gun to your face, and then your target's in your scope. And... I know from watching my brother, my younger brother shoot, watching Jordan shoot when he was younger, we both still hunted with my dad. He would have a hard time sometimes finding deer in the scope. And I'm sure I did too. But you can help eliminate that by practicing that target acquisition, having different targets, whether you set up a soda can here, the wiffle ball there, and then you tell them, all right, aim at the soda can, squeeze the trigger. 
We went through a lot of repetitions of that. And then when we got into the tree stand, I didn't zoom the scope in. I think I might have had it on four or five. And the feeder where he shot, the, the, the buck he shot was standing next to the feeder at about 80 yards. So definitely could have shot it on nine power zoom, but definitely doesn't need nine power zoom. I don't need him to spot the hair on a gnat's ass at 80 yards. What I need him to do is be able to understand crosshair goes on the shoulder of the deer. I can see the whole deer. This is where it's supposed to be. Squeeze the trigger. Um, and he did that. And that deer dropped like a just graveyard dead before it hit the ground. Yeah, but, that's, uh, I think those are all really good drills to, uh, especially for kids, you know, I, especially the target acquisition one. I still have a problem with that sometimes, you know, especially, uh, when you have, don't really have a lot of stuff in the background behind the, find the target is kind of can be hard because you don't have any reference point to be able to come back and find it. If you're shooting and you, all you can see is a field of you know, dry grass and you got an animal stand in the middle and you pull that thing up and all you can see is a field of dry grass. It's, it's really disorienting to try and be able to find that target. You don't really know which way to go. Uh, and so, yeah, I know it's some of that stuff to, you know, sometimes you have to start on low power and get, get the animal in the scope and then and then zoom it in if you are dealing with the shot that long uh, dry fire we know that works you know it's uh your brain your brain doesn't recognize the difference between live fire and dry fire so it's a rep is a rep when it comes down to that stuff um, things like laser aids are pretty good if you have them floating around because that can tell you if you're doing it right or wrong because you wrong dry fire is a wrong rep so that's something I definitely need to invest into. Yeah, that's helping practice uh, at the house better accuracy uh, going forward, and then use that for uh, my daughter when she's ready to get when she's old enough to start, you know, coming a field and toting a rifle. Yeah, the, I like the laser trainers. They they are really uh, a good tool because they can. They can show you if you're pulling a shot or something. Even the Mantis, that Mantis X thing can give you a lot of critical feedback and stuff for for how your trigger control is. And they're they're pretty reasonable. They don't need the laser system, but they'll give you feedback as far as how you're manipulating the sights and stuff when you pull the trigger. So, uh, but something like that, so you know you're getting good reps. It's, right. It's it's invaluable and it's cheap. And a mantis, mantis, a couple hundred bucks, but that's a that's a lot of ammunition. You know, that's not that's not too many rounds of ammunition. Well, let, let's think about uh, it. Uh, if I'm going to buy uh, the Rylan was shooting a six point eight SPC, um, which is designed for the AR fifteen platform, and a box of the rounds he's hunting with runs about thirty one dollars. So that'll, if it was 200 bucks, you're going to get maybe six boxes of ammo. Maybe a little more, maybe seven. Yeah. Well, and you get, uh, you get infinite, infinite reps out of a mantis. Right. Or, or even a, a laser trainer. 
Um, so the the ROI is not that much. And and some of the Mantis has versions that you can put on handguns and ARs, and then you know really anything. Uh, they make adapters to be able to mount it, so you can really put it on anything. Uh, it's I I have one. I love it. I I use it all the time. It, it's great and. Uh, I don't know. It's, it's I got one for my dad for uh, his birthday, and it's we have a lot of fun doing the competition, so you can get a higher score on it and stuff like that. So, what is what is Mantis? Um, it's it's uh, just a really like I guess uh, sensitive. It's a I don't really know how to explain it. It's a sensor that you mount on a rail, and then when you pull the trigger in dry fire or live fire they make versions for live fire but when you pull the trigger it it tracks how much it moves throughout the trigger pull and it gives you feedback and tells you oh you're you know you're pulling the trigger to the right or left or you know you have uh, too much trigger finger too little um and it it kind of coaches you on how to fix the problems too which is really nice and they ultimately it'll give you a score of, of how well you you pull the trigger and and so my dad and i kind of go back and forth uh, to see who can get the highest score but it I, it's just a really is a is a is a very good shooting aid um, and it it makes a, a big difference in accuracy and and all that very good i have to look into some of those something like that I know I've seen like the uh, the laser trainers that, that I mean you could shoot targets in the house, pull out and dry fire with targets. Specifically, dry firing with a handgun with different targets in the house. Um, I'm sure they're far more expensive, but I don't know it, when when it comes to they literally pay for themselves. Every time you pull the trigger, it's paying for itself. That you're not firing live ammunition, and you can do it in the comfort of your own home instead of having to go to the range. That's unless, one thing. Unless you're fortunate yeah. enough to have a range in your backyard. I am not. I, I am not either. <laughs> uh, but it is, it, that that is one thing, that the ability to just uh, sit and watch TV and shoot at the light plate is invaluable because that's very, it's, it's minimal commitment. I don't have to get up, get everything ready, drive to the range, you know, half hour there, half hour back. I can, I can get a lot of good reps in, in a half hour while I'm watching star Wars and you know, it's good enough. You ever, you ever strap it on the old Kentucky rifle and watch Jeremiah Johnson just (laughs) shoot with him on the TV. I haven't done that yet. I got to find a rail adapter for it, for the mantis. (laughs) <laughs> I do I do pull that out and rub it with an oily rag while I'm watching Jeremiah Johnson <laughs> uh, one of the greatest movies of all time yes it is um, truly <clears throat> but so when we dive into calibers uh, first thing I want to talk about is what was I say what was common when I was a kid for a kid to shoot. And earlier we mentioned 243 or uh, 3030, which I think was pretty common to have kids start out with white t- uh, on white tail deer with a 3030. Mm-hmm. 
And let's see, I hunted with everything from a, I hunted with a 3030. I hunted with a SKS and 762x39, which there's next to no recoil off of that. Um, I'm sure it was probably equally as accurate as that 3030 because it had one of the scopes mounted on top of the dust cover. Yeah. A real sturdy spot to mount one of those. Um, this, this is all, I mean, I look back at some of the guns that I hunted with as a kid. I'm like, my dad bought everything from cheaper than dirt, didn't he? <laughs> but he was, we were using what we had and he, and it was, it was good. But I ended up killing my first deer with a seven millimeter 08, a Ruger Mark II seven millimeter 08. And that, at that time, I feel like that caliber was relatively new or becoming uh, more popular, probably not new as much as becoming more popular uh, in the area we were in. So I had a, a Ruger M77 Mark II, which is what this is the same gun that Jordan still hunts with to this day, chambered in 7mm 08 with a Simmons 3-9 by 44, the Simmons 44 mag scope on top. And uh, killed my first two deer with that. Maybe even three or four. I don't remember how many deer I killed with that rifle. And then I went from that to a thirty out six. Now the time by the time I got to a thirty out six, I was probably thirteen years old, so I was more than big enough to handle that Remington's uh semi automatic thirty out six on seven thirty seven Woodsmaster, I think is what it was. Uh, Woodsman. Yeah. Yeah. Those were those were popular too, those old semi auto magazine fed uh, Remingtons. I know a lot of people who started with those. Over here, we can't, you can't um, hunt deer to 12. So our journey starts a little later. Mine, my first deer I shot with a 270. It was was uh, 700 Remington. Um, Yeah, it was, and I I still have the, I still have the rifle right now. I still hunt with it all the time. I think it's it's important to when when buying a kid their first rifle to hunt with. I'm not a fan of buying a youth rifle. I just don't see a point in it. Um, I don't like the 22 crickets. I don't like youth rifles. I don't like things that kids can really easily grow out of. Um, because once a kid grows out of it, you you reach a point uh, where it's just kind of useless. And I hate having that in there. And I don't want, and speaking from experience, I've just got to the point in my own life as a young adult where I was like, I can't, I don't ever use this gun anymore. And I sold it. And I wish I wouldn't have done that with some of the guns I used to have. Um, But I feel like had my dad bought me a 22 Cricket instead of a Marlin Model 60 when I was a kid, I probably still wouldn't have that 22 Cricket. But I've got that Marlin Model 60, the same one I've had since I was eight. So... It's something that it'll stick around and stick with you. Now, when it comes to a rifle small enough for a youth to shoot, the ultimate rifle, in my opinion, is the AR-15. They're small or can be made fairly compact, and they're generally fairly lightweight. And the versatility in round selection these days is asinine. And you, even if you already owned a 223 and you don't want to hunt with 223 or 556, 
you now have a great excuse to go buy or build a new upper receiver. Uh-huh. Well, that's the nice thing about that platform is you don't have to buy a whole new rifle. Those are all um, non-serialized parts. You can just put together a new upper and you're good to go. As long as it, you know, takes as long as it receives a or uses the same size magazine as the the platform you start with uh, like the AR15 as long as it's still in the AR15 magazine the world's your oyster and they're great with the adjustable stock and all that for being able to have have a kid grow into them i i don't think there's anything better than than that platform it's almost like that's what it's designed for bunch of kids right <laughs> different size, almost like it was meant to fit a bunch of different size 18 year olds um, <laughs> um but <laughs> the what what's crazy about it now is the such a wide selection of ammunition and you can definitely kill a deer with the 223 plenty of people have killed deer with 223s but you need to keep in mind uh, I'm pretty sure across the board, all 50 states, it is illegal to hunt with um, full metal jacket ammunition. And 5.56 green tip is full metal jacket ammunition. You can't hunt with that. It's not a hunting round. So you need to look into something. Uh, Winchester makes a deer season XP in 62 or 64 grain. Several uh, companies out there make soft nose like expanding bullets. I mean, you could even go and shoot Hornady critical defense. It's designed to rapidly expand. You're probably not going to get, uh, an exit wound, but you're going to have a lot. It's going to dump all of its energy right in the body cavity. And your deer's probably not going to go far if it goes at all. But you got to understand that if that deer runs, you're not likely to have blood. And that's going to make a tough track. So that's something to think about. But on the same hand, you can go to an arguably almost equally popular cartridge in the 300 blackout. And that sucker in a 110 grain supersonic bullet killed deer all day long. 100, 150 yards. Yeah, it's, I don't know if... I'm sure you've noticed that it, it always just seemed to me when you go and you start talking to the hunting public, a lot of people um, kind of tend towards over uh, yeah, choosing a cartridge that's just kind of overkill for for what they're going for, you know, for shooting whitetail or blacktail or or mule deer. It's you know, I I I don't know how many people just you know. They, oh yeah, you need a, a seven mag or better for that, and you really don't. You really don't need that much to be able to uh, you know, bring down a, some game like that. If you, because if you are trying to go for some black bear or, or or elk or something, maybe step up to that. But I, I've seen black tail and mule deer killed all day long with a two forty three. That's a a. Uh, 308 cartridge with a 243 bullet put in it so those things will go it's a it's basically a, a 
It's a six fast. six millimeter variant. It's a six millimeter three hundred eight. Yeah, it's a fast three uh, three hundred eight. That uh, it's what three hundred eight should have been. Let's see, two forty three is six millimeter, and three hundred eight is almost. Is it almost seven? No, it's bigger than seven. What do you mean? Seven millimeter. I don't. I don't remember the conversion offhand to get from seven millimeters to eighty four. Okay, uh, so it's a little. It's about seven five. I think is pretty close. I think seven five was like. You know what it is? It's seven point six two millimeters. It is. Oh, that's pretty close. Yeah. Yeah, I bet that's. I bet that's what it is. <laughs> I don't know why. But that's, <laughs> that's that's three oh eight though. See, I'm pretty sure the seven the seven five is like a right on three hundred. Yeah. But that and when you're talking about stepping up to something like a two forty three, so we talk about the AR fifteen. We're talking about a lot more of a, a recoil sensitive kid, a kid who's going to be six, seven, eight years old, scrawny, maybe kind of a bit gun shy, something that's not going to put a, you know, hurting on them. That's not what I would want my child, my kid to continue to hunt with from here on out would be that, that 6.80 killed those deer with, because we didn't get an exit wound either. Um, and that's probably the round we were shooting and we'll change that up a bit as season goes or after season and then, uh, go from there. But there's, so you, you, you've got the, on top of the 300 blackout <clears throat> when you another advantage you can have is stepping into rounds like the 350 legend uh that's a straight wall cartridge and that's going to open up other states here this side of the mississippi to you where like ohio where you have to shoot a straight wall cartridge round 357 or 350 uh legend is a is a legal hunting cartridge there that fits into the ar15 platform now you can load that sucker up when a 16 inch or longer barrel, whatever that performs best in and, and go to the woods. Kids can shoot it. The recoil is fairly light. Cause again, it's not, it's a, you know, <clears throat> it's got more powder than a five, five, six. It's going to have a little more of a kick. So does the six, eight, but not the, the AR 15 itself absorbs a lot of that recoil in the, uh, auto loading process. So that, and, and you, a lot of comps comps are easy to put on, to change out and put on the, the AR platform and they make big, make a big difference. Um, you know, uh, comps are a big deal too. So even if you are wanting to go out and shoot a six, eight, that's too much. You can still throw, if you throw a pretty good comp on there, it can, it can compensate quite a bit for recoil. I don't know that, that people actually, um, really believe how much of a difference a good comp makes when you have it on the, have it, uh, tuned and, and it's working, how it should it, they make a huge difference for as far as felt recoil oh they work exceptionally well i had a uh what's that one i used to have on my 556 before i bought my suppressor i want to say it was called the fna comp and it looked like a like a pineapple grenade but it had little allen screws you could screw out to change you know adjust gas ports and that gun had almost zero muzzle climb uh the recoil was straight back what was left of it very clean shooting but god dang was it loud that's that's a trade-off yeah. <laughs> they are loud 
Yeah, loud. If he, if he can shoot a suppressor, that's ideal. Right. Because that will reduce recoil. I guess it does, right? It does. It reduces felt recoil, and it adds a little weight. Uh, so that also in and of itself uh, reduces felt recoil. Yeah, and then and then uh, dropping the sound down, too. Out, out here, it's uh, the suppressors aren't really an option, so they may as well go big or go home. And, yeah, it's just... Those comps make a big difference. It's it really is uh, astounding to shoot to shoot something with a comp and one without one is makes a huge difference. I know we had a I was at the range one time with the old man and we had a 284 Remington out there Oof. and and a guy came out with a seven mag and he had a a, a comp on it and uh, that's a little bit larger case, more powder, more velocity, same uh, same caliber bullets the same diameter bullet same projectile size uh, we're shooting less powder with more felt recoil than he was and all he had was a was a comp on there um, and so it was that was kind of an eye-opener for me uh, to be able to shoot something like that side by side and and uh, I kind of swear by him now if you it's a cheap way to be able to reduce felt recoil on something you may already own well, there's a reason they have that giant triangle muzzle brake on the end of a 50 BMG rifle. That's exactly what it's doing, is it's blowing the hot gases backwards so that it pulls the rifle forward, reducing felt recoil, which is essentially what a compensator is doing. Yep, that's all it is. That's all, that's all any of it's doing. Uh, some of them are designed to reduce muzzle climb. So the ones on like the AR-15 or the M4s, you know, those old um, birdcage style, they they just shoot everything up so the muzzle doesn't want to climb. It's pushing the muzzle down. But those don't have any recoil to speak of anyway. But so we talked the the 6.8 SPC, which is what I'm shooting, that takes a different magazine. Um it's going to shoot the same magazine as 6.5 Grendel and 2.24 Valkyrie. Uh, and that's simply because of the slightly tapered case. Um, and it only holds 25 rounds per, unless you're really fancy and buy the LWRC magazines, then they'll hold 30. Uh, but there are a little longer. So, but it'll, it'll hold 25 rounds per. Um, you can get them in, you know, five and 10 round magazines, depending on what your state allows you to hunt with, where we're at in hunting in Alabama. They don't care. Georgia doesn't care, but Florida wants to limit us to five rounds. So if we want to hunt with it here, we've got to put a five round magazine in it. Um, I'm sure California doesn't like you using more than five rounds either. Yeah. It's five rounds. Yeah. Uh, but they don't like more than five rounds period. Yeah, that only like five rounds. <laughs> um, but there's such a large selection of calibers, and I wouldn't recommend all of them for deer hunting. But they would all definitely kill deer. The fit in the AR-15. I don't know that. Uh, I don't know what the recoil out of a 458 SOCOM feels like. Or a 50 Beowulf, but I know they'll fit in the AR-15 platform. They single stack in a 30-round 5.56 magazine, so there's a lot more powder in those casings. Uh, and they will definitely kill deer, but I don't know that you're recoil-sensitive. 
uh, individual is really going to want to have to want to shoot those. If you're going to shoot that, you might as well shoot a 308, in my opinion, or a 243 or something of that nature. Yeah. And there is scientific data to show you, you can look up numbers on felt recoil from any given caliber and decide it's like, although looking at the numbers on felt recoil to me is a lot like looking at the, uh, decimal rating when buying a suppressor you look at one and says this one's 135 decibels and this one reduces it down to 132 i'm not going to be able to tell the difference with the naked ear in three decibels um but taking stepping up from the ar-15 and going into something a little bigger your short action calibers again you're in an area where the possibilities are endless but you run into the same issue you do with the AR-15 where a lot of these rounds that are better suited for hunting also aren't easy to find. The 6.8 SPC, you got to buy it all online. 6.5 Grendel, which is, would be another great one. You're going to end up buying them online or reloading them. 350 Legend is pretty popular. 300 Blackout is eh. You can find it usually at big sporting goods stores like Bass Pro Shops or Cabela's or, you know, uh, you guys got... Maynard's out there, Menards, or is that that's a Midwestern thing, I think. Yeah, we don't have those. Yeah, you can pick up that stuff places like that. Max Prairie Wing, Academy Sports, places like that. Sportsman's Warehouse, they're all going to have 300 Blackout, uh, but they're still not going to have probably have 6.8 SPC or 6.5 Grindel. Um, they'll also probably have 350, 300, 350 Legend, um, which I guess has become pretty popular because it is a straight wall and it opens up opportunities in places like Ohio that only allow you to shoot straight wall cartridges. So you're not having to shoot something like a 444 Marlin or a 4570. You can shoot a, a lower recoiling round that's still getting you 250 yards out of a bolt action gun or an AR-15. So, But then you go into, like I said, the short actions. You, you've got 243, you've got 308, you got the one that everybody loves to hate, uh, the six five Creedmoor. <laughs> yeah. Which the six five Creedmoor man is I don't care what you say, it's a great round. I I love that. I shoot it and I've killed quite a few deer with it. You got the two sixty Remington, the one that everybody loves to forget. Yeah. That's, well, it's, that's it, been around since the eighties and it's the same damn cartridge. That one's easy to forget because it only gained popularity with, really only gained popularity with the target shooting community. Yeah. It was the same, basically the same, uh, ballistically it's pretty close to the 6.5 Creedmoor, but it was, you know, it predated it by, I guess the Creedmoor has been around quite a while. It just wasn't a thing until fairly recently, but the 260 has been around a long time and, and nobody really seemed to ever talk about it. Uh, unless you were in, yeah, target communities or, you know, stuff like that. But it's out there. You can't really find ammo for it anymore because people shoot 6.5 Creed more. Right. And then, uh, well, it goes along the same route. 260 Remington's the same, about exa- almost identical to the 6.5 Creed more. I think you get a little bit more case velocity in this, or case capacity in the 6.5 Creed more if you're reloading. Um, But. The same could be said for the six millimeter Creedmoor, which is, wait for it, a two forty three. 
And we talked about this the other night with the 6.8 Western when you jump into long action calibers where the 6.8 caliber or the 6.8 Western is, wait for it, it's a 270. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's a 270 short. Yeah, 270 right. short magnets, right? Yeah, but but still, it's, yeah, it's, I don't know. It's everything. It's funny to see all those, those uh, calibers and stuff come back. Uh, or not calibers, but see those chamberings kind of come back full circle, and then we're we're back when everybody jumped on that six five uh, bandwagon. There, I when I I was twelve years old out hunting, I had a six five by fifty five Swedish Mauser from uh, nineteen thirty four, and that thing would shoot lights out. They shoot really well. So the the Swedes figured out the six five a long time ago, and. We're back to it again. So 100 years later, here we are. And that's almost about the same, the 65 by 55 That's got a little bit more case capacity, but not not a whole lot. Uh, not a whole lot. It's about a... Yeah, it is. It's ba- basically a three oh eight with, yeah. a, with a, a two sixty four bullet. But I don't know. You're right. You look at some of the older, <clears throat> the 7-millimeter Mauser, uh, eight millimeter Mauser, and then you you jumping into some of your your odd ones. Um, your a lot of your nozzle rounds mimic a lot of the the old Mauser chamberings. Mm-hmm. So, <clears throat> but they come back with a little bit more case capacity. They didn't reinvent the whole wheel and make a brand new cartridge. They found a way to fit a little bit more powder in there to give it a new name and make it you know two hundred feet per second faster. <laughs> Yeah, it's a lot like those Ackley uh, improved cartridges where they're blowing the shoulder out, and you know they get maybe a few more uh, grains of uh, case capacity, and then uh, they get a few more feet per second. Uh, it's not nothing really, uh, nothing really voodoo about the whole process. You know, it's uh, more powder, smaller bullet is faster bullet. Uh, less barrel right less barrel life and then uh you know bigger bullet less powder slower speed more mass and so it's you're sh- either shooting a needle at something really fast or you're you know, throwing a baseball at them pretty slow and so that's kind of your two choices and uh it's always that's always been the i guess that's always been the uh the the quandary when it comes to hunting ammunition is do you want uh light and fast or uh, big and slow uh, some stuff like a 338 lapua you kind of get big and fast but <laughs> it's, you don't really need to hunt deer with that and so yeah and then a 223 is a little bit uh too small and too fast and so somewhere i think a lot of the uh, ballisticians and stuff you're, you're kind of landing a lot on those the 284 or the 264 caliber bullets are going to be the most accurate and they're they're large enough to be effective on uh, most medium-sized north american game right and it i, I, just, I see people ask all the time and you and i talked about this the other night i, I hate the question will this kill a deer yeah because the answer is always yes but yes, my baseball bat will kill a deer. Yeah, the answer is yes, but if you're asking the question, then the answer is no. 
yeah, you probably shouldn't be using it. Right. If you have to if you have to ask, you probably shouldn't be using. When it comes to rifle calibers, you know, yeah, it's if you have to ask, you probably shouldn't be using it. Because uh, I wouldn't. I know a twenty-two long rifle will kill a deer, but I'm not out hunting with it because it's not going to be the best thing to go kill a deer with. If I have to, yeah, I'll use it, but but it's not going to be the best thing and the most uh, humane way to take game right and that's what we're really going for is to not have uh, a deer run off and die three days later of a festering wound in a creek bed somewhere we want dead deer within minutes or a minute of of uh being shot i mean i don't i mean i there's a part of me that likes to it, it i don't mind blood trailing when I've got a good blood trail, uh, because I know, yeah, that's a good hit. The deer just had a little bit of get up and go in him, and uh, he got out of dodge after I shot. But when you get down there and you're following, you know, specks of blood the size of your pinky nail, and they're 10, 15, 20, 30 feet apart, that sucks. There's no fun in that. Because... yeah. You, there's a there's a pretty good chance you didn't do enough damage to really put it down quick. It's gonna die. There there's no doubt about that. It really doesn't matter where you shoot a deer with what you shoot it with. Chances are it's gonna die. You hit a deer in the gut with a twenty two. It's gonna die. It's gonna take it a, quite a while to die, but it's gonna die. And we don't we don't want to induce suffering. We want to induce a quick clean kill, recover the game, and harvest the meat. Right, and that's tough when you come when it, when it comes to meeting the not wanting your seven year old kid shooting a three hundred ultra mag because it's gonna you know uh, cause a lot of damage you know it, it can the the terminal ballistics of a seven or three hundred ultra mag are going to can make up for a poor shot. I wouldn't say a bad shot, but just a, a, a shot that isn't quite ideal. Yeah, they can compensate. You know, a, a 300 wind mag will will inflict enough uh, temporary cavitation in a deer to go ahead and put it down, even though you missed. But it's not necessary, and you're not going to put an 8-year-old on it. it. It just doesn't make sense. So what do you what do you think would be the... What would you be your minimum chambering? My minimum chambering, ideally for a kid, I would say would probably be three hundred blackout in an AR fifteen. You can do it with a with a two twenty three and some sixty four sixty nine grain soft points, but if we're talking zero to a hundred yards, I mean, if I'm shooting a two twenty three and letting the kid shoot it, I want that shot inside of fifty yards with a two twenty three, but three hundred blackout. Uh, you're getting a little better terminal performance out of that. Um, I'll give them 100 yards, 150 yards with a 300 blackout. But also at 150 yards, because that bullet is it's got pretty has pretty much has the same trajectory as a 3030, but it's a more accurate, more conical shaped bullet, not that flat lead nose that you have to have in a tube fed magazine. So you're going to get a lot of bullet drop at 150 yards. I want to say like eight inches or so 
So you got to account for stuff like that. But you can get away with sighting a little high or sighting on it. You know, a hundred, you're going to be a little high at fifty. But you could definitely put a kid on it with a 300 blackout and a 115, 110 grain supersonic bullet and put deer down all day, 100, 150 yards. Yeah, that I agree. I I think you could if you step down to a 223, um, and then just especially if you had you know real real young or real recoil sensitive, somebody who's not really comfortable. And so you're going to be sitting with them, um, and let the bigger, let the bigger animals kind of go, you know, kind of pick, pick something on the smaller side. And that's a, in an ideal spot, ideal shot. And, but yeah, I don't, that's kind of, it could be done, I guess is what I'm saying, but it's, it's not going to be the best ideal thing. So, right. I, I would say before I let my son go off and sit in a tree stand by himself, picking his own shots completely on his own, he's going to have to be shooting a, a short action cartridge. Something like a 308 or a 243, something with a little more punch behind it. Yeah. Uh, because that, those can help make up for uh, not so perfect shot placement. Whereas that that six eight, <clears throat> even on the the doe he shot, uh, she required a follow up, <clears throat> but we executed that well, and she didn't suffer either. And, and we noticed it right off the bat and said, "We got to shoot her again." We did. She was done, but she never ran either. He dropped her where she stood. Just, but the but the shock of that round, and I think you know we're shooting Hornady, one hundred and twenty grains out of that six eight. And they were dumping every bit of energy they had as soon as they hit the body. And that's great uh, because it put the deer in the dirt immediately because there was such a shock upon impact. But on the same hand, had the deer got back up and ran, we'd have been in for in for a tough one on that. Because the buck he shot, I still have no idea where he hit it. I couldn't find the entry hole. Yeah, that's rough. What do you know offhand? What velocity that is? I don't, uh, but I can look it up real quick. Oh, let's see. Yeah, because one twenty, two seventy. I'm shooting one thirties. It's uh, that's not unheard of. So you're pretty close in mass. They must have a lot less velocity in there. So these are, yeah, I'm at least eighteen years old. 6.8 millimeter SPC 120 grain SSTs are traveling at 2,400 feet per second, 2,460 okay. muzzle velocity. Yeah, I was going to guess 22, but that 2,250 is your 100 yard velocity. Oh, so at it's 100. Yeah, it's still moving pretty good with 1,300 foot pounds of energy. Yeah, that's pretty good. It it looks like it's going. Uh, it's, it says it's still supersonic out to five hundred yards, fifteen hundred, fifteen hundred feet per second at five hundred yards. Yeah, that that's pretty. Those the uh, six eights a two seven point two seven seven caliber. So I know we kind of went over six five and six and seven, uh, 
the six eight is a two seventy. It's a two seven seven, and that those that have a high ballistic coefficient bullet. Also, they they maintain a lot of velocity and they buck the wind pretty well. It's a nice uh, you know spear style bullet, and so it doesn't shock me that it, it maintains its velocity. But it's still starting pretty a lot slower than the two seventy Winchester is. And but it's also packing a lot less recoil. Yeah. I mean, it's a great, in my opinion, looking at that. For me to hunt with that gun, I would feel comfortable out to 200, 250 yards with it. Um, I'm not letting a kid take that shot. Taking that 250-yard shot requires me, <clears throat> requires someone who can calm the nerves, remember to squeeze the trigger, keep the right sight picture the whole time. I mean, you you got to be able to eliminate all the variables on your end of the shot. Um and when you got a little kid over there, he's sitting there in the tree stand. Dad, I'm shaking. I'm like, take a deep breath. Calm down. Oh. Yeah, he'll get them worked out, though. He'll get those jitters worked out of there and. I still, I still get the, I still get the jitters. I was shaking with him, um, just, just the excitement. But I've, you know, it's not that, and I, and I have to say, if I ever lose that in in hunting, when the the moment comes down to I'm going to take this shot, if the jitters ever stop getting me, then I don't, I don't know that I'd keep doing it. There, there's the rush to it. But I, I've, I've learned as an adult who's been hunting for quite some time, I completely understand how to. And control everything. Yeah, yeah. Bottle it up for a couple seconds, and then pee your pants after you squeeze the trigger. <laughs> yeah, Dan. Dan still can't bottle it, so he's he still likes to miss his first deer every year. <laughs> oh, and we all miss, man. Everybody's you're going to miss at one point. You're going to make a bad shot. It's uh. It's not so much a if as much as it is a win. Yeah. I let the jitters get the best of me uh, just a couple years ago, and I made a bad shot. I misjudged the way the deer was quartering, made a bad shot, and just kind of skimmed the the front shoulder. Got a little hair and a little bit of meat. And then uh, when I got down there to the hit site and I looked at it, I was like, yeah, I know exactly what I did. That deer is going to be just fine. <laughs> but it happens. I mean, especially if you're hunting with a bow. And that's something I try to think, you gotta think about, too. People ask, well, will this kill a deer? Well, yeah, dude. People kill deer with 30-pound longbows with stone-napped points on cedar arrows. Of course it'll kill a deer. <laughs> but the guy that's doing that is also killing a deer at 10 yards. So he's good. He's good at it. So. Right. Put a lot of practice into it. Yeah. It's not a, it's not an eight or 10 year old kid. Uh, you know, not most of the time, I guess it is possible if they have the time and all that, but uh, I'm sure there's kids that have done it. Yeah. I'm sure there's kids that have napped their own arrowheads made the modern day children, not, you know, 200 years ago, kids. Uh, but I think that also comes down to uh, what, what 
their parents are into. Because I had a guy tell me today, he's like, yeah, your boy's lucky he's got a dad who understands all this and is into that. He's like, my kid's just shooting a 20 gauge with buckshot in it. I was like, yeah, I mean, if I, if I wasn't into uh, firearms to the degree that I am and enjoying the nuances of it, he probably would have been shooting at it with a 410 or a 20 gauge too. Yeah. That's, you know, I was raised in it. So I, you know, I guess I have the same benefit. Uh, Rylan has, you know, so I was brought in. My dad was really into target shooting and caliber selection and experimenting with different wild cats. And so, you know, I'd, I'd hunt, I'd spend a week hunting with some uh, off the wall hybrid that he made up in a secret laboratory. <laughs> and, and then the next week we'd go out and we'd zero something else. And I'd be onto some other thing he had going on, you know, I'm out there just seeing what, seeing what kills. And <laughs> it was just, I, I don't know. Things changed a lot at that time, but yeah, we were doing a lot of different experimenting with our, whatever he'd come up with and turn out on the lathe, we'd be, I'd take it hunting. <laughs> he was what? doing stuff. He'd he'd take uh, reloading dies and he'd chuck them in the lathe and he'd turn out the the uh, shoulder or something and we'd blow shoulders out and uh, he'd bump the calibers up to what he wanted. So uh, we did a lot of different. He really was a mad scientist. Yeah, we would, and he would just take the barrels. He'd take barrels off and. If it was close to the, if it was the right caliber, he would just turn the chamber in it and, and we'd be out doing whatever it was that he, he had decided we needed to do. So it was, yeah, we did a lot of experimentation and stuff like that. And Shooting the, the 30 Woden improved. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah I don't know, some of them I don't think had names. We tried to name some of them, you know, but it was just, we had no idea what the nomenclature needed to be, uh, how to follow those. It was just a weird, uh, I think one was, uh, we took a, I think we took a 30 yacht six and we, uh, I know we did a 30, a 338 six, which is, which is kind of a, a known wildcat. But uh, you said thirty out six, and you just blow it out to a three thirty eight. Uh, but there's some other weird stuff in there that that we just kind of played with to see what we could do. We had that two eighty four. Um, I think we ended up putting a uh, three oh eight bullet in it to see what that would do, and yeah, just different weird things we had going on. All he the says time. this is a thirty. Yep, that'll kill a deer. <laughs> Yeah, spent a lot of time at the range just shooting. We go out. He he'd spend two weeks building a gun. We go to the range and go shoot it, and then we come back. He'd take it all apart, throw the barrel away. <laughs> <laughs> Never shot it again. <laughs> Garbage. Yep. Nah. What's wrong with that? Nah. You know what's I funny about that that six eight is my dad. He had his. Uh, Five five six AR, and he's like, well, I really want one that I could I could hunt deer with. And I was like, ah, too easy. So I'll put you together a six point eight SPC upper. And at that time, the six eight was far more popular. I mean, I could walk into just about anywhere 
besides Walmart and, and pick up 6.8 SPC. Uh, you could get it at any gun store, whatever. It was all over. This was about 2014 or 15, maybe. So a little more popular back then. And uh, built it in that. And then he was like, this is cool. Sided it in. Never hunted with it. Uh, I think he might have tried to kill a pig with it and missed. Um, but then when the time came for Rylan to, after he had his 410 and he wanted to go kill a deer, I was like, I told my dad, I said, borrow that rifle. So I did, and uh, he put a put a hurting on him. Uh, I could see the amazement in my dad's face when he was like, well, did he run? I was like, no, it dropped right where he stood. Really? I was like, yeah. It was the same amazement he had when I told him, uh, the six five Creedmoor is a great round to hunt with. You should buy one. Why didn't you just buy a seven millimeter oh eight? It's a half a millimeter difference. <laughs> he says, well, "I'm shooting a hundred and forty or hundred and hundred and fifty grains out of this. What are you shooting out of that?" I said, "A hundred and forty three." It's not a, not a huge difference. Six not, five. not a big difference. Uh, and then he went and bought one, uh, sighted it in, and shot a buck with it. And he was like, man, I like this gun. This sucker don't kick worth nothing. Put that deer dead in its tracks. Like I told you. <laughs> you don't need yeah. to hunt deer with a thirty out 6 or a 7mm Magnum. You can kill them with a smaller caliber. Not even a smaller caliber, a smaller you know, smaller casing, less recoil. You don't need to beat yourself to death to kill a white-tailed deer. No. Has Dan, Dan been on the podcast? He has not. Okay. Yeah, so I don't... Remember all his questions about the six five? Yeah, he'd he'd call you all the time. Did that six five kill a deer? No. Yeah, absolutely <laughs> he'd not. Mad, he'd get all mad at me and be like, "Why don't you? You you're sitting there talking to the guy I call and talk to about this stuff." <laughs> <laughs> I just don't believe him. <laughs> Nobody's a hero in their hometown, I guess. Right. <laughs> Oh man, the amount of deer I've killed with that six five Creed more. Um I've killed at least ten and I, I haven't that I can recall had one uh maybe one of them that didn't have a blood trail. And I really think it didn't have a blood trail because it didn't have time to bleed. It only went about twenty yards before it piled up. And there was blood, you know, where the deer was dead, but it, it ran down uh, an embankment and then I think probably slid most of the 20 yards. Well, I've seen those weird, like, I don't know. You probably, probably don't deal with it out there, but out here you can get those high angle shots and you come in maybe through the, you know, just below the backbone, kind of through the top of the rib cage. Oh, you shoot from tree stands. You probably see it. And it goes through, passes through and comes out kind of low quarter on the, you know, bottom. But then they're, uh, lungs and stuff fall down and cover the exit wound and they just don't bleed. That's a completely uh, mortal wound, but they just don't, they don't have any blood dripping out of them. And maybe 20 feet. That one I shot a few years ago was uh, exactly the opposite, a high angle. Uh, it did not bleed at all. It ran about 35 yards in a circle and it ended up dying about five feet from where it, where I shot it. But we, I could not blood trail that thing, and for anything, uh, it, and 
as I couldn't, you know, fell down on the tall grass. Uh, yeah, I took us a while to find it, and it was right there, five feet from where I shot it. But I blood trailed it. <laughs> but it was it was uh, pretty difficult though. The the biggest thing I can tell people is you're not aiming for where you want the bullet to hit, as much as you're aiming for where you want the bullet to exit on the other side. So you envision the the straight line path of a bullet through the the body of an animal, and you aim for your your exit wound, um, thinking about the angle you're shooting from, especially from a either at an uphill angle or at a flat angle, even on a downward angle at a short distance. You need to be aiming for where you want the bullet to come out of, because if you if you're shooting at a steep angle, like an elevated tree stand and a deer at five yards you need to aim towards the top of the back and the spine so that your bullet is passing through the entire uh, body cavity and out the bottom side near the leg, you know, near the far side leg. Because if you're aiming for directly behind the shoulder where you would if it was a flat shot, you're barely going to get any bullet in the body cavity if you do at all. I mean, there's a chance you could hit a rib, crack a rib, rides the rib, and never enters the chest cavity, even on a high-powered rifle. It's just the funny way bullets work and... The same way a bullet will hug a wall. Mm-hmm. Uh, if it it's hits like a, a top. Wall. Uh, same yeah. reason a top stands up. Right. Uh, yeah. So I'm just I I've had a few of them, uh, two specifically where they the bullet went through as a mortal wound, but something fell and covered the exit wound. It kept a lot of the blood from being able to come out. Uh, the you know animal didn't make it far, but it did. It was not a very good blood trail though either. Right. And. You, you could see the same thing shooting a deer on a level plane when you make a high shot. Um, and then you wonder, you know, you're, you're blood trailing a very minuscule blood trail, and then all of a sudden there's blood everywhere. And then the blood trail goes away again. Well, the reason it's doing that is because that chest cavity is filling with blood, and then it's sloshing out the holes, and then it goes past the overfill point, has to fill back up again, and you'll see that, and that's how you get that little little drip, little drip, little drip, little drip, a lot of blood. <laughs> yeah. Little drip, little drip, little drip. Yeah, it's a there's a lot of interesting that that deer that I shot it didn't have any insides, which I thought was weird. Well, it had the 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 uh, digestive tract, lungs, heart, all the. Uh, organ meat was soup and i can tell when when he shot that buck with that with that rifle when i went up there and i put my hand on his chest the way the chest caved in just from the weight of my hand everything inside there was soup mm-hmm. there was no negative pressure anymore it destroyed all the vital organs in the chest cavity mm-hmm. and that's why the deer you know straight to the dirt But I just that was because that was a copper copper bullet, and so it was just the first time I really had seen one and what they what they do, and that was I'd heard a lot of stories, a lot of people saying they destroyed the meat and blown up. I didn't have that problem, but it did. Well, I guess it vaporized the organ meat. You know, that's something I would have liked to recover, but it was completely worthless. What organ meat do you like to harvest? Um, I like the heart and the liver. 
I do too. You ever had the kidneys? No. You should try them. They're very good. Uh, I got a good steak and kidney pie recipe I'll send to you. Kidney is almost, uh, it, it tastes like any other red meat, but to me, <clears throat> when it's cooked right, has about the same consistency as cotton candy. Oh, yeah. It literally just melts in your mouth. Does not reheat well, but it's good the first time. <laughs> it's okay. I don't reheat anything. Yeah, once it gets reheated, when I reheated in the microwave, it's kind of like trying to chew a piece of shoe leather. Yeah, uh, but the first time, it was really good. But I, I keep try that. I keep liver and heart and kidneys and uh, yeah, that's about it. But yeah, I, I usually will eat the eat the liver and the heart almost straight away. I don't save them. I don't freeze them. I just usually, it's kind of the first thing. If I can recover it, it's kind of the my celebratory meal. What do you do with the liver? How do you prepare I that? I just chop it up, fry it. Liver and onions? Mm-hmm. Mm, same with the heart, I assume. Yep, salt and pepper. Mm, soak it in buttermilk. Try that. Soak in buttermilk. I'll try that. Then you know, use a use some fresh buttermilk, egg wash, buttermilk, breading, oh, deep fry it, or pan fry it in bacon grease. Yeah, I've heard Jim. I've heard Jim talk about using buttermilk a lot. That's. Uh, I tried it on squirrel. It works pretty good. Yeah, buttermilk is uh, buttermilk. Well, in all reality, buttermilk will take the gamey taste out of anything. But it, it's the salt in the buttermilk that, that removes that game taste. Because yeah, you like can really, a... <laughs> you can do it with any any salt brine. We'll mm-hmm. do that. Uh, but buttermilk is my favorite one because you, if you really had something like merganser that tastes like fish, you can soak merganser in buttermilk until the buttermilk stops turning pink. You just cycle your buttermilk out once it turns pink until it quits turning pink, and you cook it, and it just tastes like red meat. There is no fish taste anymore. It soaks all that gamey taste out of it. Merganser. Yes. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's just, we always had a joke about merganser stew, just making a pot of it. But uh, Now, buttermilk, I like, it's kind of a mild brine. And so I'll yeah. use it on, on stuff that don't need, like wild turkeys and stuff. I use a full on, you know, salt water brine, but some stuff like the squirrels and some other red meat, they don't need a, like a full on, you know, brine bath for 24, 36 hours. The buttermilk does just fine and it makes a huge difference. Um, well, Tyke, anything else you want to add to this? We'll keep this one pretty short. Yeah, I don't, I can't really uh, think of anything. I think we kind of cover the bases. I, yeah, I do want to say, like, it's better to get out and get hunting, um, it, 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 no matter what you got. And there's some, there's some options out there. I guess not no matter what you got, but, um, you know, if you, if you got a 308 and a, and a little guy who's afraid of it, you can go pretty easily get threads put on that and put a, uh, a compensator or a break or something. And, and then he, you know, he or she may do just fine, uh, with that. And so, you know, on that same hand, if, um, you can't afford a new rifle, uh, but you've always been thinking about getting into reloading and you want to jump into the reloading game, 
you can always make underpowered low recoil loads for things like a 308. Uh, they're going to have less recoil to them. And sight the rifle in with that. Let little man shoot that or little girl, whatever, whoever's going on the hunt. Yep, that's that's a good thing too. You know, I I reload a lot, and a lot of times you can get into reloading for cheaper than you can buy a new rifle. So, I just sent you a kit the other night of uh, the that Lee kit was what 180 bucks, mm-hmm. and you just need cases, powder, primer, bullets, <laughs> pretty much everything else. But you have the <laughs> you have the equipment to put all that back into the casing. Uh, brass powder primers bullets that that stuff's not not overly expensive either i think you could get into reloading for you know probably uh under 400 bucks and and be doing pretty good but a lot of it is is an entry fee and once you've paid the entry fee of getting the reloading equipment then you're just restocking supplies but you can also save brass and reuse brass and stuff like that so cut a little bit of cost there oh yeah and and really once you have fired a case once you fired brass in the rifle if you keep it with the rifle you don't have to do a full case resize do a neck resize and trim it uh, and you're going to get more case capacity and more accuracy because you don't have to fire form the case anymore so it actually ends up being more accurate if you are reshooting brass uh, that you've already you know, once fired that you've shot through that rifle. It's important to get kids out there, but when you're taking them out there and you want them, you know, if all you have is the 270 or the 30-06, you got to understand that kids are easily impressionable. And <clears throat> if hunting becomes a physically painful experience, they're not going to want to go anymore. And it's not... Uh, not so much felt recoil that I would be most concerned with as, as far as pain goes, as much as inability to shoulder a stock on a 270 and a kid gets scope bit. I mean, that can literally leave you with a scar for the rest of your life, a physical scar. Mm-hmm. Um, and no matter what you think, you cannot get your hand up there to help with recoil. You can't. And I. I was foolish enough to think that with a, with a 12 gauge that I'd be able to get, you know, hold some of that recoil off of him. And I didn't. And he got bit, uh, with the humpback of the shotgun, uh, shooting at some more hens and learned that lesson quick. Said, okay, won't do that anymore. And luckily he was able to move on from that and we're fine, but you can, you can do some physical damage to yourself, uh, shooting a mismatched rifle. Yeah, not being able to get a good, uh, being able to get that stock seated into your shoulder where it should be in the pocket, um, it makes all the difference. So if you're a, a small person and you can't get that thing seated well and be able to see the sights and see what you got to see, you're going to compensate for it and then it's going to really hurt you. You can absorb a lot of recoil if you have that stock seated properly. Right. But, you know, I imagine a, a kid shooting a 308 is about the same as me shooting a 50. Yeah, probably. <laughs> a you little know, bit. I know I, I fit the stock and I can get it put into my shoulder where it needs to be. And I'm able to absorb that a lot better than, you know, if you were ill-fitted. But, uh, like I said, if, you, if, if you're out there asking, will this kill deer? Can, can, my son, can my kid use this to kill deer? 
The answer is yes. But if you're going so low that you feel so low in caliber that you feel you need to jump on social media and ask a bunch, a, a literal crowdfund worth of idiots, whether it's going to kill a deer, um, then no, you, you probably shouldn't be letting your kids shoot, shoot deer with that. It's probably, probably too low. Yeah. If you're, if you're not sure. Uh, but again, I, I mean, we did mention though that a lot of people tend to over, you know, like I said, I, I would totally recommend, like, by far, as far as availability goes, uh, ability to find the round, round selection, and limited recoil. I would put a kid, uh, a recoil shy kid, behind a 300 blackout 10 times out of 10. Uh, because they really have no more felt recoil than a, than a 223, uh, which is next to none. Um, I'd like to really look at the numbers comparatively uh, of a 22 versus a 223. I think that the the noise of the round is far scarier. The The noise of the gun going off is far scarier because they are loud. ARs are just loud guns in general. Um, it, it's far more shocking to the, the nervous system than the recoil is. So, I mean, putting ear, ear protection on a kid, it, you always should. Um, but that that's another thing you can help mitigate that stuff. The bang is a frightening thing. And I think that's probably what keeps a lot of people away from guns. They're loud. Mm-hmm. That's why yeah, I like guns, because they're loud. Oddly <laughs> enough, I like shooting with my suppressor, which makes them not so loud. It's kind of an oxymoron, but... Start them off right. Start them off with a, a very effective lower recoil, what they call it a sub-caliber round out of a AR-15 or a small, you know, bolt action. You could look at the Ruger American Ranch rifles. If you wanted a cheap bolt action rifle, cheap accurate bolt action rifle, they come in 300 blackout. They come in 762 by 39. A uh, whole handful of sub-caliber rounds um, that are more than capable of taking deer and pigs and everything else with minimal recoil. And you can pick those up for three, 400 bucks. New. Those uh, are micro-action but they are mini action. It might be mini action. Yeah. Two, two, three, three hundred blackout. Uh, I think those are mini, mini action. Or there's a different classification for uh, both actions for those. Right. They have long action, short action, and then the mini or micro action, whatever that one is. Yeah. But like I said, those those rifles can be had for fairly cheap. And then, you know, don't overthink it when it comes to, to optics. Man, if your sight, if the area you're hunting is 50 yards, that's all you've got to shoot, slap a red dot on that sucker and take away, eliminate so many variables by doing that and let a kid take a deer with a red dot. You're eliminating the having to get the right eye relief and all the other crap going on there. The easier you can make it, uh, the better it is. Yep. And if you're on a budget, you can get red dots for, for cheap that would do just fine for that. Right. So they're out there. Even in like what an Amazon red dot, you know, you're you're good to get what something. It, I would, I would skimp on a red dot, ways before I would skimp on uh, some sort of a zoom optic. Well, you can pick up the Vortex Diamondback. 
line for a couple hundred bucks. And you can even pick up uh, some of the Ruger American rifles with a Vortex scope already on it for an extra hundred, 150 bucks. Mm-hmm. So, and there's also always, there's a used market for optics as well out there on Facebook marketplace. And, uh, I can't even think of the name of the gun trader and stuff like that. And Timu or whatever. Yeah. Oh, Timu. I don't know that I would do that. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> it goes back to my dad. My dad. I got this Leupold off wish. I said, that's not a Leupold. <laughs> it looks like a Leupold. I said, I know that, but it ain't a Leupold. That's a Leupold. <laughs> yeah. Dad, that just says, that says Leupold on it. All right. There's no U in there. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it is. All right. You sure that's? I'm pretty sure that's a that's a B at the end there, not a D. <laughs> oh shit! But uh, again, you, you I, that brings up a valid point. When you're looking at things and they they sound too good to be true, there's a good chance that they are too good to be true. You're looking at you're like, oh, a Leupold Mark V for six hundred bucks on the used market. Like, yeah, at, at that point, I'd be like, okay. Can you send me a picture of the serial number on the bottom of the scope? Yeah. And then call Leupold and say, hey, this is the serial number I have. Is that a Mark V? And they'll go, we don't have that serial number registered in the system. Yeah. You're like, ah, that- so it's not a Mark V. <laughs> no, it probably It's a leprechaun <laughs> bronze ring. Yeah. yeah, it probably isn't a Mark V. But, yeah, I'd, I'd say that... Don't don't skip don't uh don't sleep on the used market on any of that stuff, and and uh, the ranch rifles are even smaller. They're kind of a subcompact style rifle, so it's going to be a little smaller to begin with. But AR fifteen, if you got one, my personal opinion, that's the way to go as far as the kid goes for a youth rifle because it's a kind of a grow as you go style rifle with the adjustable stock on it. So yeah, it is. I. I agree. That's a that's a good place to start. I know it's kind of difficult here in California to to do that without all the red tape, and other things you got to deal with. But uh, yeah, that's I think that's a good place to start. Well, Tyke, I thank you for joining me, man, and uh, like we this will end up being pretty good. I got to get Rylan in here. Once he's in here, we'll get this. Let him tell his story, and then we'll dump, jump into some uh, youth caliber rifles. Yeah, yeah, it'll be be interesting. I appreciate your help. Yeah, no problem. We'll catch you next week. See you guys next week. All right, later.